It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And, well, Brexit's kind of on hold at the moment, isn't it? Because it's all tied up with the Tory leadership contest. We don't really know what's going to happen in Brexit until we know who is going to attempt to make it happen, whether that is Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt. So, we turned to a top Tory commentator for this episode of the podcast. Paul Goodman, editor of Conservative Home. Uh, Con Home is the mind of Tory members really it's where they go to discuss things it's where they go to read things it's where they go to write things Um, he's very much in touch with the Tory party grassroots Um, he's a former Tory MP in fact and we were joined by Adam Sigan of the University of Leicester who has led lots of research projects for the UK in a changing Europe and we discussed what's going to happen in the Tory leadership race and what it will all mean for Brexit. Just before we get into the chat, let's introduce a new feature. It's Alan and Matt's Big Box of Facts. Alan Wager and Matt Bevington are top UK in a changing Europe wonks. They are full of interesting stats, which they are going to share with me. I'm going to ask a question. You're going to listen to the end of this podcast to find out the answer. Yes, it's a naked attempt to get you to listen to all the way to the end of the podcast. And this week's question is this. What proportion of Tory members actually voted Tory at last month's European elections? It's a very interesting answer. It's worth sticking around till the end for. Um, But first, let's have the chat between me and Adam and Paul Goodman. Here we go. Boris is going to win, right? I think you've got to take a step back and um, try to get into the minds of why um, the MPs voted for him in large numbers. And my answer is, uh, it's not because they necessarily like him. It's as they think there will probably be a general election and he's the person most likely to be able to deliver a win, either in the event of Brexit being delivered or not delivered. So I don't really see that changing. Uh, so what the MPs think um, are, are surveys of party members which um, are, are not scientific but YouGov opinion polling is and the two tend to end up in the same area they've suggested so far Boris has got you know um, 60% of the vote or so I don't really see that changing that sounds not as much as I anticipated <laughs> I would have had him down as having who, who knows, uh, where, who more knows than that. where we will be mm. in um, a month or so when the contest ends. But um, he's gradually pushed his way up the poll, as I think the members came to the same conclusions as the MPs. Right, at one point he, he was on on 30%. doesn't sound like much, it was a lot more than anyone else. And he gradually has pushed up. And last time we did... Um, a uh, survey he was on about 60%. But the members have loved him for years, right? Because you do on the website the the regular not nece- tracker. Not, not, of... ne- not necessarily. Um, he, for a while, um, he was neck to neck with Theresa May in 2016. Mm. Last summer, actually, Sadie Jarvin was the person making a breakthrough. 
if if the survey's right. And it's something he was not able to capitalise on. So Boris's ratings, uh, he's always been near the top. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it's never absolutely been a given, I think, until, well, fairly recently. Conholm does a regular survey of mm. members and, and basically who they like. <laughs> mm. um, and he's always been near the top. Mm. Why? What's, what's the appeal? He's um, a Farage figure or a Corbyn figure or a Trump figure. If I remember choosing wildly different people. But they're all people who operate outside the conventional bounds. Um, you might almost say an Anne Widdicombe figure or a Jean Prescott figure. And I think we've gone from an age where conventional politicians like Blair and Cameron have ruled the roost to one where these much more quirky individualistic figures have got a certain pull. And that's just right for Boris Johnson because he's always been like that. Mm. But these times we suit him better than, you know, six or seven years ago. But he also has proved that he's a winner. I mean, he's done it in London and he makes a, a, a big emphasis about a demographic which wouldn't naturally be a Tory demographic that he's managed to win over on, on, on two occasions. And it's sort of a cross-section of, of sort of liberal, ethnic minorities, sort of traditional conservatives in the, in, in, in the suburbs. And I think he sort of sees that as a coalition. He does. And what's, what's changed is he's lost a big chunk of that since the referendum. Yes. And, mm. um, uh, you know, when he went into the uh, referendum, if you imagine, before he'd made his decision, really is having a very wide reach. And I, I've spoken to friends of, of, of mine um, who have been around London with him, and they said the reception he used to get mm. was absolutely astonishing. People didn't treat him in the way that they would treat other politicians. And I think some of that clearly has gone after the referendum, particularly in London, where, you know, one doesn't want to oversimplify, but you know, London is a, is a, is a Remain city, um, and um, some of the Remain's most articulate and committed supporters are in London. And um, that that's hit him to some degree, but obviously not with the Tory members mm. who are committed to Brexit. I mean, is that... We were talking about this earlier, Adam, in that the Tories like power, essentially. Uh, is that the is it the is that the bottom line with Boris? That it really is, you know, it's the old, it's the economy, stupid. When yeah. it comes to Boris, it's simply the fact that he's got he's a, he could win. I, th- I think that's right. I think I think the Tories do have an instinct for power. That's why they got rid of Margaret Thatcher when they did because she was going to lose them the next election. And here it's the same issue. I think that you've got a, somebody who they see as being able to deliver an electoral victory. And I think you rightly said at the very beginning whether or not Brexit is delivered or not he will still have the credibility, I think, to be able to stand up and, and sort of face two ways at the same time and still come out saying that, that Brexit will be done, but it may not have been done yet, but there will be a point at which I'm going to deliver it. He's in a very happy position because with the members because they do want to win, but they're also committed to Brexit. And I think if you look at the history of the Conservative Party, about every 70 years... Um, the, the interests of a big slice of business go call it one way and a certain kind of national patriotic feeling goes the other. Um, doesn't happen very often. When it does happen, it's very testing for the Conservative Party. It's happened to them twice when? over what? free trade and protection. Well, so, in, the, in, the, in the 1840s, so under, under, Peel. Robert, under Peel, yeah. the first. Then there's an enormous pullulating, to me rather less dramatic but more lengthy, split over free trade and protection at the turn of the century mm-hmm. when Joe Chamberlain comes across from the Liberals to the Tories and, and, and somehow changes them. 
this is even more so because it's not just a trade issue. It's a, it's a constitutional issue. It's an identity yes. issue. Right. Isn't that the, the slightly weird thing? Is that we sort of all agreed here that Tories like winning elections, which you thought in politics is quite a sensible and normal thing. I mean, the fact that we can't say that about Labour is a whole different podcast. But um, uh, given that, all right, the Tories like winning elections, and yet we are in such weird political times that we don't know when. They, I mean, there could be an, there literally could be an election within six weeks, or it could be not till twenty twenty two. I mean, we don't know, and we don't know what. The issues are going to be at that election, and yet you're asking the Tory party membership to choose a winner under any circumstances. That is odd. We're talking about an electoral event. Whether that means an election or whether Boris Johnson's views that a referendum may be a more appropriate way of trying to resolve this, in that he would argue we've won one referendum already, you would have a Conservative Party which is fully behind leave on this occasion as, 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 as a party policy. And, and I think it does preserve that, that instinct for power. We, we can't, if we lose the referendum, we still can't remain in, in, in power. And that gives us a bit of a flexibility because one of the things they don't want to do is have a general election, which the Tories are talking about Brexit and the other parties are talking about other things. And I think we said earlier that that was something that undid Theresa May. What's powered his position is, is the belief that I think is probably right, that there's not a majority in this Commons for anything, mm. right? Well. So uh, Theresa May's withdrawal agreement's gone down three times. Um, maybe, um, arguably, uh, and I'm not very confident of it, but perhaps Boris Johnson could get some movement on the backstop. But would that satisfy the Labour Party? No, not on the evidence we've had. Would it satisfy the so-called Spartans, the you know, 10 to 30... <laughs> um, uh, Conservative MPs who are just against the whole withdrawal agreement. Anyway, almost certainly not. Mm. So there's no majority for that. We know that the Commons doesn't want to have no deal, but equally there's no majority for a second referendum either. A second referendum would mean a bill. Mm. It's not just a question of getting the Commons to yes. vote for a second referendum, which it's so far mm. not done. Um, sometimes by quite close margins, but you don't have to get a bill through this Commons. So in, in the end, you've you've got this very strange. Um, um, immovable object and irresistible force. And the irresistible force is this all points towards an election. Mm. The immovable object is the Commons doesn't want one because mm. the two main parties are in desperate trouble. Absolutely. I, th- I think as well that added into this is something which the both, I think both Tory leadership candidates aren't necessarily addressing head-on as they could do is what's the response going to be from, from, from Brussels on this? And the idea that Brussels is somehow going to be um, accommodating to to, 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 to to any new Conservative leader in the mm. coming weeks is, is, is not, I don't think, very realistic. They have, the Parliament is going to meet for the first time next week at the beginning of July, 1st of July, I think, that it yeah. reconvenes. They have a, 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 a Commission President and a President of the Council mm. and all the other key sort of European Central mm. Bank and High Representative all being replaced. We're not going to do anything that's going to try and bind any successor we have Macron mm. and Merkel not in agreement over who's going to be running the commission, who's going to be having these jobs. And there mm. are, they are focusing on sorting that out. And remember, this new commission mm. takes, takes effect on the 1st of November, the day after Brexit is supposed to happen. So whether there is any scope for renegotiation or whether there is any mm. scope for any sort of significant change, I, I really do doubt it. 
so, so do I, and I've got two points really. And one is just a general one, and I think um, some of the UK Brussels correspondents are, are superb, but uh, <laughs> I, I think media coverage of what happens in, in the rest of Europe compared to media coverage of what happens a few miles away in, in Westminster is completely different. Mm-hmm. At Westminster, everything goes under a magnifying glass. Everything is seen. Uh, journalists even see things that are not really there because they're looking so closely at the action, they start to yeah. imagine things. Into it. Well, where, I was going to ask you how many pairs of socks you've got. Yeah, I mean, that's the big issue today. Yeah, but no, no one's going to um, ask... <laughs> Actually, they would write about Juncker's socks. But I, th- I think <laughs> the British media as a whole, it's got to feel for what happens in Brussels, but I don't really think it knows what Paris says to Berlin mm. or Eastern Europe says to the Commission because it's not, not, not got the capacity to yeah. report it. So I've just got a question ab- about what will happen. But, you know, the evidence so far is you know, the European Union, it, it, it takes its political project seriously and it has its particular way of approaching Article 50. And uh, on the site, I've been very sceptical about this GATT 24 business because I think... Whatever you think about the technical arguments of whether you can or cannot do it, I think it's very hard to see why the European Union should, at this stage, before the UK is left, move off the withdrawal agreement, move off the money, um, leave Ireland in the lurch um, over the over the backstop. So it seems to me you're, you're heading towards uh, no deal, Com's rejection of no deal unless Johnson's got some smart prorogation manoeuvre up his sleeve and then you're getting towards the general election country. Mm. What you say about the media is interesting because, you know, I confess, let's face it, the tone of this podcast to some extent has been, you know, Johnson's going to win. How is that going to happen? I mean, there are some serious accusations levelled against him of which most seem to be true. He's got no hypocrisy over it. I think this is part of, whether you like it or not, this is part of the appeal to the voters is that pretty much, in one sense, everything is out on the surface. It's actually quite difficult to work out what really motivates him and Mm. what he's going to do and how he operates. But in one sense, there's no sort of surface artifice. He doesn't pretend to obey rules while he's actually breaking them. But he's also not offending in some of the comments that he's made about Commonwealth citizens and remember about Liverpool and... and, yeah, and yeah. The, he's not offending natural Conservative voters in doing that. So there is that sort of Trump aspect of it that, that, that he will say things that play... Or, or not necessarily play, but may not, but may not offend his immediate target audience and his immediate target voters and I, and I think that's what he's very oh, so he's successful actually, he's actually not I mean you know whatever text he may or may not have exchanged with Steve Bannon he's not temperamentally Steve Bannon he's temperamentally liberal he doesn't mm. like restraint he doesn't <laughs> like any form of restraint on him and he really doesn't tend to like restraint on other people so and I think that sort of somehow comes over yeah. so again the Johnson government I mean you know because I think there'll probably be an election I'm not convinced it's going to be there for very long but the Johnson government would in one sense, um, I think be quite messy. In other, you could say, well, maybe it's about time you had a Downing Street where the Secretaries of State were allowed to get on with doing what they want to get on with without Downing Street trying to second-guess them all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one of my questions is, what should we be looking out for? Uh, one of the things it's said about him as mayor was that he surrounded himself with good deputies. He picks the right people, mm. lets them get on with it. He's just a sort of front man. He, he didn't at the start. It was a terrible mess when he moved into London and some of the advisers had to go. And after that, he had Simon Milton, who was a kind of sort of genius of Tory local government, and 
ran it very smoothly for him. And I, I think what you'll see if he's there for any length of time is there'll be much more like a court with these little groups of courtiers. There's the old Borisites who've followed him through the commons. There's this new group of Gavin Williamson and James Wharton, the people who did the parliamentary numbers. They're his old followers from London. They're the vote leave people. And I think um, there's that remark of, I can't remember whether it was Thomas More who said it of Henry VIII, that if his cap knew what he was thinking, he put it in the fire and burn it. <laughs> I think Boris, he, he, in some ways, he, he, he does what he does by this paradox of he appears in a way he is quite open but actually he's not the sort of person to communicate to other people what he's really doing so he plays off these groups to some degree it'll be a court but the problem is the problem as well with, with, with the boris johnson approach of having this court mm. is there's got to be some coherence across policy and i think the risk that you end up with is, yeah. is, is ministers and cabinet cabinet ministers coming out with policies which are not coherent which which immediately start being picking holes in and and, uh-huh. you, and and this is you know if you have a commitment to take to take, to take the mm-hmm. example we've already got you know a commitment to reducing taxes whether it's for the high earners or for the low mm-hmm. earners and then have massive spending commitments at the same time the, the the brexit bonus will end at some point you can't keep spending the same uh, that's, pound twice that, that's that's true generally I and mean, there's mm. been a reaction against uh, necessarily it's conservative home after all we put the next word in quotes there's a reaction against austerity. I mean, actually, strictly speaking, in terms of, of, of how they run their budgets and their targets, austerity ended a while ago. But I mean, what I notice a lot in um, you know current conservative discourse within the party is there's almost complete absence of any reference to spending control. Mm. Right. So now I think you're absolutely right about not just Boris Johnson. But most of the leadership candidates in this election have been, as, as it were, spending money like there's no tomorrow and cutting taxes. And um, even if you're relaxing your debt targets or your deficit targets or whatever, can't carry on doing that forever, at least not if you're a Conservative. You're a former Tory MP. Uh, you're clearly a Tory. Do you sort of wish Labour had a better leader? I mean, do you wish the Tories had a little period out of government now to have a little refresh and... A, a rethink because I mean the, the thing you're saying there about you know tax and spend or you know whatever spending not even taxing just spending is not Tory yeah. this very peculiar psychology of party supporters that part of you never ever ever wants to give office up mm. you know so I remember even in even in 97 when it was um, kind of obvious that you can't literally go on forever mm. you've got to go out for a period and from a Tory point of view in many ways Blair was a sort of safe option even then you know, I, I didn't want the Tories to go. But it, it probably is true that after a while you lose your capacity to reinvent yourself in government mm. if you've been there long enough. And after Thatcher, the, the, the Tories couldn't do that without going into opposition. It's almost like a sort of law of the body. Yeah. It's almost like mm. needing sleep. At some point, you do need to go into opposition. I would question whether that's now, because we've not had... The Tories have not actually had sort of like three full terms. They've had... A coalition, mm. a, 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 an election majority that didn't run. Now they're no with there with no majority at all. I think. I mean, right or wrong, you're going to discount my biases. I think all other things being equal, the Tories would be good for another five years, particularly with Corbyn. But I'm not saying that's going to happen <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> this seems, current, in this current in this current party dispensation. In, I mean, in overall, is the party in in decent shape in terms of? Uh, you know, intellectually and just in terms of 
numbers. I mean, obviously, you interact with the members a lot through the website. It's very hard to talk because you, you, I mean, Brexit's sort of like like a roof. Mm. You can't. It's very hard to take the roof off and see w- what's actually going on outside the house. But I thought at the last party conference, um, I remember advising, you know, for what it's worth, all these lobby groups to make as much noise as they could because no one would be listening. Everyone would be following Brexit, mm. and then you know the libertarians around in the. Um, Sort of, you know, there's the Liz Trust group of freer. There's bright blue on the left. There's still the same old debate about the role of the state rumbles on. You know, it, it, that's all still there. And I think the Tories are, are capable of pulling all that together if they can get through Brexit. But uh, really, I think Brexit, what Brexit will do is it will change the one dynamic in British politics that it will no longer be possible to blame somebody else. The, the, the blame of, of Brussels will go. And the governments are going to be, of whatever colour, are going to be elected on policies which they have to deliver. Uh, and and it, it, we can no longer say, well, they've, you know, Brussels has told us to have VAT on these products. And we don't want to. We, if no, we yes, had the we, choice, yes, we, we wouldn't do it. We, we, well, That's we still going to happen, isn't well, it? Because well, it, well, it, we're still going to be so we, bound up with the EU, whether you like it or not, we, one way or another. We, we will be bound up with It'll the EU. But, but, but the argument I would then say is, 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 is that's the choice that Parliament or the government of the day has made. And they have decided to go down be, that route. It's harder to do. Of course, we are all assuming we're going to leave. Yes, well, we've got there, though. You know, still not, not sure. Maybe we're due to leave on March 29th. Boris not says yet. we're leaving on October the 31st. Are you suggesting that Boris is not die. a daily truthful well, going, and honest well, and I'm getting, getting back fulfills to, his promises? I'm going back exactly where I started. I mean, I, I think, you know, you never know with Boris, sure. <laughs> but let's suppose he wants to and tries to. I'm just not convinced that the Commons is going to let him. Yeah, I mean, I've written down a question. Does he do Brexit? Does Boris, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, does he do Brexit? Say so yes or no answer. Uh, he's got a self, <laughs> he has, a, or self, it's a, he has a self-imposed deadline by which he is suggesting he can do Brexit. He then said he will do or die, it will happen. But there's never this, he's been invited to say that I guarantee that we will be out. For me, do or die is about the endeavour of delivering Brexit rather than, you know, I'll try my best, do or die, I will, I, I will try and get us there. But there isn't that guarantee yet. And I think that he is leaving open that possibility that I think goes back to what we said earlier with, 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 with all this state of flux in Brussels, with, with, with the Commission and the Parliament and the, the Council, um, there is going to have to be some scope for, for, for an extension. But that's not going to happen again. The, the EU has to, the EU 27 will have to agree to that. And we saw how difficult it was last time when the extension, the original extension, was being proposed to the end of March. I'm, I'm taking the simple common sense approach of um, so many things have looked as though they were going to happen, mm. but have actually not happened, mm. that it's really very hard to be sure. So, I mean, for example, I don't think the EU is going to throw the UK out. I don't think they pull Ireland in that position, but you don't know. Well, that's why we have these discussions, isn't it? To try and work it out, <laughs> try and make intelligent, intelligent guesses. We've got here, and I haven't even asked you who you're, who you're backing in the Tory leadership. Boris Johnson, for the same reason as the party members, which is that if there's an election, is the most likely to deliver a Conservative um, majority. If it, if it wasn't for that, um, I, I think I'm not quite sure... Where we would have where we would have gone, um, I think there's a certain amount to be said, even on election winning 
arguments. There's a certain amount to be said for for Sajid Javid, um, but he, but you know, I think throwing someone who's untested at that level into an election of the kind we get from a Tory point of view, it's it's a, it's an unknown unknown. Whereas Boris Johnson is a is a is a you know known unknown. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Let's finish up with the feature which is called In the Unlikely Event This Podcast Has Enlightened You Sufficiently. Um, recommendations for understanding Brexit, adding to the never-ending list of ways to understand Brexit. <laughs> Frankly, we still don't understand Brexit after two years' worth of these podcasts. But um, if you read, look at, watch the various things on the list, you might be uh, slightly better informed. Uh, where should we start? start? Paul, what, what, what do you want to add to the list? I, I thought the James Graham play the uncivil war had moments of real insight and there's a moment in it um you know it's telling the the, the story or a version of the story of how brexit happens where you start with dominic cummings in a room Mm. listening he's trying to hear what the british people are saying what is it that they're saying at one point in the in the in the film he if he didn't actually well actually Perhaps he did. He lies down on the ground in Clapton, presses his ear, his dramatist license, to try to hear what the British people are saying. Is it is it anger? Is it frustration? Are they just sort of like in the you know the D. H. Lawrence poem? If you make a revolution, make it for fun. Do they just feel like <laughs> kicking the establishment? Yeah. I think if you want to understand Brexit, you just sort of keep asking the questions. There isn't a sort of simple answer. I liked this idea of. Dominic Cummings is a kind of shaman figure trying to hear what the voters were saying. Maybe he didn't, but he did a better fist of it than the Remain campaign did. So are you saying watch the Uncivil War? Are you saying go to Clacton and lie down on the pavement and listen to the listen to the pavement? Maybe you go to Clacton, you take the film, lie down on the pavement, you watch the <laughs> film there. <laughs> then you'll know. I've never been to Clacton. Maybe there's the lots arms. of people lying around, listening to the ground. Uh, um, Adam, what have you got? Uh, well, one of the things that regularly comes up when I speak at events or, or, or talk about Brexit is I'm always asked, why hasn't it happened? What's the reason? What's the reason we haven't got it? And I sort of revert back to, I think Paul Simon will help us here, because he says there's 50 ways to leave your lover, and I think there's 50 ways to leave the European Union. And that's the problem with the withdrawal agreement. It is one way of leaving the European Union, where your red lines have tied you into a particular agreement from... From the outset, if that's what your red lines are, then that's the agreement you'll get. If you change your red lines, you'll have a different one. And I think part of the problem as well, which is where, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of lines of that song, you know, the problem is all inside your head, she said to me, which I think is quite uh, sort of recognises that, that, that maybe we need to think about um, creative solutions for, 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 leave, for dealing with Brexit and backstop might be one, might be one of them. Um, but it also made it sound so very simple. You know, you slip out the back, Jack, make a new plan, Stan, you know, don't need to be coy, well, you know, I'm not going to sing it. But but it, it is this idea that it's it's simple. It's as if, you know, we can get it done sort of idea of Brexit can happen. And it's the Boris Johnson optimism, I think, that that, 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 that song is suggesting as well. So far, the story has been the 50 ways of not leaving your lover. Oh, and perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the reason for that is that, um, you know, that people who set up the referendum never wanted to leave. Right, well, that's my Friday night. Take care of go and watch, watch the Uncivil War and listen to some Paul Simon. That's a really good Friday night. And read a bit of Con Home while you're listening to Paul Simon. That's a really good, really good... Well, it's my idea of a good Friday night. I don't know what that says about me.
I think we've got a competition there. Let's ask you lovely listeners to rewrite 50 ways to leave your lover in a Brexit style Can you come up with new lyrics for 50 ways to leave your lover but referencing Brexit? That could be fun. Please get in touch with your responses. Get in touch with your reworked lyrics for 50 ways to leave your lover, 50 ways to leave the EU, if you like, at uh, the UK to Changing Europe email, which is UK and EU at kcl.ac.uk, or get me on Twitter at Political Yeti, or the UK to Changing Europe on Twitter, who are at UK and EU. Um, the answer to the, the, the trivia question, you've been waiting for it, you've stuck around this long, 19%, just 19% of Tories apparently actually voted Tory at the European elections, which gives you some idea of the problems the party has. Um, but uh, whether they will retain those problems, we shall see, because they're going to have a new leader in just a few weeks' time and everything could change in terms of party politics and in terms of Brexit. So keep uh, an eye on that one and keep tuned to this podcast because we will hopefully... Uh, we've got uh, potentially got a really good Tory guest lined up for the next episode who will have uh, even more insight. If you've liked this episode of the podcast, and, you know, I'd be amazed if you haven't particularly if you've listened this far, you must be loving it, please go to your preferred podcast provider, rate and review us. Uh, we would very much like that. Give us a nice review. Uh, tell all your friends about us. Uh, that makes life a lot easier. And uh, by all means, sign up for the UK in a Changing Europe newsletter. Every second week, you can get Anand's views on everything that's going on in Brexit. You get a roundup of all the UK in a Changing Europe's work, which is a lot. If you read all that, you will know loads about Brexit. And uh, you also get Anand uh, either delighted at the performance of Leeds United or utterly despondent uh, for the last few weeks of the season. So that's something to look forward to. So yeah, head to the UK and a Changing Europe website, ukandeu.ac.uk, to sign up for that. And uh, yeah, if you want us to have any guests that you think we should be having on, please get in touch. If you want to give me some feedback on that podcast or any other podcast, uh, by all means, contact me. I am, uh, as I say, at Political Yeti on Twitter, or my website is james-miller.com. And you can find the full list of recommendations there too. The music has been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra again this week. And this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK to Changing Europe. Supported by King's College London. Funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back in a couple of weeks for another episode. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.